Hi, this is David Howard, and you're listening to the Daily Reflection Podcast. Welcome to the Daily Reflection Podcast. My name is Michael Lynn from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And I'm Lee McGinnis from Leesburg, Virginia. As members of the recovery community, we created this podcast as a way to provide experience, strength, and hope through the lens of the Daily Reflection book. Each day, we interview members of the recovery community in the hope that their experience may provide inspiration. We value inclusion and diversity, and we really want to provide a platform for all the voices of recovery. We aren't affiliated with any 12-step or recovery program, but you may hear these mentioned throughout the course of an interview. Hey, before we get to the show, I'd like to ask a favor. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, it'd be great if you could leave us a comment or a rating. This is going to do a couple of things. It's going to help us expand our reach and improve the show. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Good morning, everyone. It is October 17th, and I'm being joined in the studio today by David Howard. He's from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and he's here to share with us his experience, strength, and hope around today's daily reflection, which is entitled A Daily Tune-Up. Welcome to the podcast, David. Hi, Lee. Thanks for asking me. So glad you're here. So we usually get started, as you know, because you told me you've listened, by asking the guests to read The Daily Reflection. If you have that with you, would you kick us off? Certainly. For October 17th, a daily tune-up. Every day is a day when we must carry the vision of God's will into all of our activities. From Alcoholics Anonymous, page 85. How do I maintain my spiritual condition? For me, it's quite simple. On a daily basis, I ask my higher power to grant me the gift of sobriety for that day. I have talked to many alcoholics who have gone back to drinking, and I always ask them, did you pray for sobriety the day you took your first drink? Not one of them said yes. As I practice step 10 and try to keep my house in order on a daily basis, I have the knowledge that if I ask for a daily reprieve, it will be granted. Mm, I like this one. So before we get started talking about it, what is your sobriety date? It is October 5th, 2015. So you just celebrated. Congratulations. First of all, as I heard you read it, a bunch of things came to mind for me, but I'm, I'm curious what, what came to mind for you. Well, the first thing I thought of was when was the last time I sent my sponsor a 10th step, which was just two days ago, but I've been on a new commitment to do it on a daily basis. But the tune-up thing made me think of my car and thinking of how I would irresponsibly not maintain things in the past. But I, I really appreciate the metaphor for sobriety because this is one thing that I've done in my life that I've taken pretty seriously. So yeah. I go for the oil changes. <laughs> I, I try to follow the directions for the manufacturer's warranty. Um, you know, the consequences of not following it are kind of severe for me. So, yeah. and uh, prayer, that definitely jumps out. And it's become somewhat of an instinctive response to sponsees when they're talking about something. I'm like, have you prayed about it? Will you pray about it? You should pray about it. Those are my first uh, impressions of that. It's interesting that you bring up the tune-up thing because that's part of my story too. When I was younger, just never maintaining anything. And then of course the car breaks down on the way to work and I get in trouble at work and I'm blaming it on the car when in fact it's because I didn't do the maintenance. And I'm I'm wondering if I, I almost can draw a line to so many things in life, you know, back then before sobriety, just 
just not keeping up with anything and everything falling apart and the consequences being so dire. I'm wondering if you can relate to that. Very much. You know, <sighs> there are so many things, you know, the, I mean, I actually did have an automobile that I, I would put off changing the oil because that meant driving somewhere. There wasn't a bar nearby or um, the money that I would put towards the car maintenance took out of my drinking, but, you know, in um, just things like, you know, we hear about this. I remember for me, like not opening the mail, just uh, letting it pile up. It was like magical thinking that it was going to open itself and take care of itself. Laundry. Let's get into real stuff, you know, relationships. I don't have to call you. You love me. You care about me. So I don't have to do that daily tune up of, Hey, how are you? Are you doing okay? There's just so many things that I just, um, I couldn't maintain because maintaining them meant being involved in the world. And at the end of my drinking, I just wanted to be left alone. Well, I didn't want to be left alone. I wanted to be left with my friend, the bottle. So Mm -hmm. got very lonely. I haven't really thought about that in so long. Of course, you know, all the money being spent on drugs and alcohol. So there's no money left over to, to do the basic maintenance of life. And then, like you said, the relationship maintenance too. Yeah. It's just so nice not to have to live like that anymore. Amen. So, so tell us a little bit about what your drinking was like. How did it start off? How did it end? Well, I had a pretty long run. I mean, i thought that I was a functional alcoholic. And I guess if by functioning, I didn't kill anybody, I didn't get killed and I didn't go to jail. I was functioning. Okay. I made my career most of my life in the restaurant business. And that is career choice that at least in the past used to reward bad behavior. Kind of like the, the more you drank, the more hungover you were at work. As long as you got through the end of your shift, the more Uh, you were admired and regarded, but, you know, I got married, I had three kids that slowed down. Um, and I really just thought of it as being the occasional binge without consequences. My wife, uh, my ex-wife, uh, would say to me, you know, I think you should really slow down your drinking. And I would say, I didn't have a drinking problem, not an alcoholic. I kind of figured out in hindsight, when I was doing my fourth step, that the fact that it was a problem in my relationship then by definition, it was a drinking problem. Um, But, you know, I went through uh, achieving some good things in my life, like three great kids, some good friendships, learned some things. And uh, then I turned pro in my drinking in my 40s, I guess. And the consequences started racking up physically, emotionally, isolation. I kept demoting myself with work. I had a really responsible job with a really good restaurant and I knew I was going to get fired. So I quit and I took a job that didn't pay as much, but enough that I could keep a roof over my head and drink. And it got to the point where I became unemployable. Uh, relationships had fallen apart. I was, let's say I'm 60. So I was 54 when I came in the program. And uh, by the, I remember as clear as we're sitting here, what that day was like, I woke up and my girlfriend was in the hospital uh, because of this disease and she was seeking help. And I wasn't, I had uh, exhausted all my finances. 
I had dug through the cushions of the sofa looking for change and I needed a drink. Boy, I needed a drink. And I had just enough money that I might be able to buy a bottle or something. And I knew that after that was gone, I didn't know how I was going to get more. And I was too cowardly to steal. And I was too proud to beg. And a moment of grace, I just thought, I'm going to see if there's an AA meeting. And this was occurring at about 8.30, 9 o'clock in the morning. And the next meeting that I could find that was close enough that I could make was a 5.30 meeting. And I just had to sweat it out. An amazing miracle happened, I think, was that I found a bottle of vodka hidden in my house that was unopened, full. And I knew that if I just had a drink out of that bottle, I'd feel better. But I also knew that if I drank anything out of that bottle, I would never make it to that meeting. And I poured it down the drain. And I think that was God's hand helping me there. And I made it to the meeting and... So the man who became my sponsor happened to be there. And he just looked me in the eye and he said, you don't have to suffer like this ever again, if you don't want to, you just, are you willing to do some work? And I said, yes, absolutely. And I started on the path. I wasn't a first time winner. I, I got such relief so quickly and things got better so quickly that I suffered from the delusion that I had done this, that it was my effort that got me sober. And I deliberately walked into a bar and took a drink. And I did that for about a week. And I could feel the absence of the joy and the grace that was had been filling me up. And I very willingly came back and um, reset my sobriety date. And then sat down with my sponsor and really started doing the work. And it's it's been a journey. It's certainly it's been a journey. How did you know about AA to find a meeting to begin with? Had you heard about it before? Had people suggested it to you? I went to uh, there's a church in Philadelphia, Old Pine, that hosts a lot of meetings. And I had gotten married there and I knew the drunkards went there, the alcoholics, you know, you could, you knew what was going on. So I knew of it. I had had a brush with the law with a DUI and this is, this is a real fuzzy part of my memory. I think that I was mandated to go to a meeting as part of that, but I was still drinking. I, I would show up for counseling drunk. And just chewing like a pack of gum, thinking that the counselor didn't know what was going on. But it is so hazily. I don't even remember if that was like me being there. But I think I just had a sense of it. I'm just I'm really fortunate that it was the 2000s and not 1940. You know, Um, like it was enough in the background of society that I knew it was a resource. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't know anybody in AA at least consciously, it turned out that my sponsor was someone that I had worked with, but I never knew he was an alcoholic. I never knew he was in recovery. I didn't know anybody that was in recovery at the time when I came in. So talk to us about the early, the early work. What was that like for you? Uh, Pushing back against my sponsor. So the early part of sobriety, when I um, came back and really leaned in was a little bit of lip service, but it was um, at least sincere 
uh, insincerity. I was trying, uh, but there was something standing between me and getting it. And that was the truth. And when I came back in, I didn't tell anybody that I had gone out. I didn't tell anybody that I had picked up. I was still, I had so much pride and shame that I had done this, but it was really important for me to maintain this sober facade that I had constructed. And my partner who was, I had mentioned who at the time um, was also on this journey said, you know, you haven't told anybody the truth. You've kept this even from your sponsor. And rather reluctantly, I sat down the next time we met and told him what happened. And I was expecting some kind of spiritual punishment, you know, like 20 um, Hail Marys and 15 first step pushups or something. And instead he said, oh, that makes sense. You stop calling me. You stop going to meetings for five days. We figured the date and we reset that. And really, I look back at that moment when I said, my name's David, <laughs> you know that, but this is what happened. And he told me that someday your story is going to help another alcoholic. Don't be selfish with that. I, um, it was still another couple months before in a meeting, I put my hand up and shared that at group level, what had happened. Um, and that was very free. You know, I really believe that the secrets are what, one of the things that keep us sick. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we went into the um, the work and I want to check the boxes. I want to just go, 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 go. And typically I finish that project and then I set it aside and it's like, I don't revisit it. And I don't think I need to tell you, this is not how recovery works. My sponsor said, no, you are going to do this slowly, thoroughly. And it took, I think, a year for us to go through the steps. And that was just a, a big part of our program in my sponsor family is I call my sponsor every day. And I have called my sponsor every day, except for those five days for six years. Um, I go to a meeting almost every day. And if I don't go to a meeting, it's because either I'm like on my deathbed or there is no meeting. And I meet with my sponsor We used to meet every week, but he's been ill recently and we don't do that as regularly, but now I'm fortunate to sponsor several people and they, we talk every day or they, we call each other every day. We meet regularly and I advise them to uh, go to meetings every day. And it's that uh, faith in action that has really been what's worked for me. So that first year as you moved through the steps slowly and thoroughly, what would you think was your biggest change or aha about yourself or, you know, how did that journey impact you that first year? Learning to trust another human being was big. My fifth step was a really big moment for me, you know, uh, admitted to God's for ourselves and another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. I grew up church, so I was in a, in a confessional faith. So um, I figured God knew what I was doing and I was okay. Like I knew that wouldn't it'd be pointless to try to keep that from God. I would tell you anything. Like I would sit at a bar I'm like, oh yeah, I did this. And I mean, I wouldn't try to hide it, but what I learned from going through the steps with uh, six and seven in particular was my ability to hide the truth for myself. I didn't want to look in the dark places. 
I learned not to be afraid through working the steps because between my fourth step and my sixth step, and even doing the eighth step with and making amends in the ninth, there was so much fear and so many things. And I, I don't think anybody that would meet me back then or now would think, well, now I'm, you know, I'm working on it still, but even back then I didn't come across as a fearful person. I come across, I'm sociable, confident. I feel like I belong anywhere, but a lot of that confidence is bluster because I'm covering up the fear. And I'm really, I'm very grateful for that. I stopped expecting things just to be handed to me on a silver platter. There's probably so many more things, but yeah, I mean, I just, I hadn't really thought about it that way before. I just, I live my life having learned this through the program and, and working on a more conscious connection with my higher power that I can turn this over to God Mm -hmm. and it will be taken care of. I may not see how it's being taken care of, but I believe it is being taken care of. Mm -hmm. So So you mentioned being churched in a religion that practices confession on a regular basis. How has your relationship with the higher power you grew up with changed since coming into recovery? Night and day. I'll go ahead and take the liberty of including my sponsor and I like on parallel paths. So I grew up, you know, I was baptized. Um, I converted to a more like Protestant mainstream uh, practice. I hit my teen years and I dabbled in, you know, psychoactive substances and explored Eastern mysticism. And I really just wanted to, I was always on a spiritual quest. I never heard anybody um, curse on this, but there's like, I was S shopping, I'll say, uh, for something that fit me, like my Goldilocks idea of just right spirituality. But I was churched. Like I knew the prayers, I knew the rituals, and I was familiar and comfortable with uh, Christian scripture. My sponsor was much more spiritual, I think, and not really much of um, a practicing religious person. In the time of my recovery, my sponsor has become a very devout Christian and practices a faith that that is active and robust. My faith is active and robust, but in a different way. You know, I I rejoined the church um, because I wanted to the opportunity to do service. Um, I happened to be early in sobriety, going by the church and thought, you know what, that's an hour and a half where I won't be drinking. Let's go in. And I was welcomed in the church and I really value that part of my, my spiritual practice. But I pray every day. Um, my meditation practice compared to some friends of mine who I admire very much dims in comparison, but I have meditative moments. Um, there's a, a quote from Desmond Tutu about uh, being in uh, your higher powers presence. And so you come in, from a cold, wintry, blustery day, and there's a fire burning and you sit down and you feel the warmth and you, you just relax and you feel safe. Uh, You don't question who built the fire, what's fueling the fire, how long is the fire going to burn? You just appreciate the fact that you're warm and safe. Mm -hmm. And that kind of describes how I feel when I trust God. Mm -hmm. I feel 
I feel that I'm safe and protected. And that is a much more visceral, real life experience of my higher power. I used to experience God through fear, obligation. Uh, a really big step for me was the third step when um, we say in the care of God, not the punishment of God, not the direction of God, not the manipulation of God, but I'm just in the care of God. And that that's a, that continues to unfold and develop for me. Mm-hmm. I've, I've had moments of not being as active, not as sincere in my recovery. But the one thing that has not fallen is the conviction that I have a higher power and that I'm not alone in this. For those that might, you know, be struggling with the whole God thing or the higher power thing, you know, I guess the first question that I want to ask you is, is it possible for someone to feel that warm, safe feeling without going to church and without having a religion in your opinion? I don't think it's just my opinion, but it is my opinion that you don't need that. It has been my experience that there are many men and women that I've known that have struggled with the, as much as we say in the literature, as much as the literature says that the hoop is wide, you know, that to pass through, you just need a willingness to be willing. There is that sort of, given the time it was written, a certain flavor to what that higher power should look and sound like to you. But I have known people that are complete 100% agnostic atheists, pagans, like Wiccans, devout Jews. I actually sponsor someone that's a Muslim and people that have uh, just, I mean, the whole range, as many words as you can come up with uh, from zero belief to full-fledged in something, a part of the world you haven't heard of, spirituality. I think really what it comes down to is that if you can just look in the mirror and say, that person looking back at me is not the end all be all, not there's someone, something, some concept bigger than me. Mm. Um, I very much experienced the presence of my higher power in a conversation with a friend of mine. I've been in fellowship with him since I came in. We came in around the same time and he's very scientific mind. He has a very real power greater than himself. And my sponsor had told me early on, he said, let him have his spiritual discovery. Let him have his spiritual awakening. It's not yours to give him. It's not yours to preach at him. And I'll tell you with my spiritual, uh, my religious background, if you will, proselytizing is anathema to me. I just, it it really makes me uncomfortable. So to anybody that's struggling with that and has felt that they've been preached that you will find your way. If you just ask for the willingness to be willing. Um, Mm -hmm. I believe that. Yeah. I think the book assures us that the minute we're willing, the second or the instant we're willing to believe that there might possibly be something else out there, we're on our way. And then it just starts to unfold. It's a beautiful thing about this program. What about the 10th step? So this reading is about the 10th step. He says, I have the knowledge that if I ask for daily reprieve, it will be granted. And I'd like to go back to that before we close. But it does say, as I practice step 10 and keep my house 
in order on a daily basis. That's what gives me the knowledge that if I ask for a daily reprieve, it will be granted. And I'm, I'm curious, what does your 10 step look like today? How do you practice that? Well, I really am. It could be where I'm at in my sobriety. It could. So I'm not going to say that it's, well, let me say this. It's really important to me. There's a meeting that I try to get to regularly that it meets on Saturdays here in Philadelphia. That's a 10 step meeting. And every Saturday, it's the same thing. We read the 10th step from the big book and from the 12 and 12. And I go to that meeting as regularly as I can. And you would think, how could you get anything out of going to a meeting where you do the same step every week, week after week? I just think the step is so rich that it bears study and practice. So for me, I have, you know, the spot check inventory during the day. Where is this coming from? Is this this fear, anger, um, you know, to be ready um, to quickly address my wrong, my part in something and uh, ask for forgiveness or make amends. But I try mentioned that I don't do it every day now, but the nugget of it is the format from the big book. You know, was I fearful, uh, you know, angry? <laughs> Excuse me. And I, for me, for about a year or two doing that, it it began to feel mechanical for me. And I felt like I was just saying, no, no, yes, no, no. So I spoke with other people in AA and people actually outside of AA about uh, spiritual practice. And I, I kind of uh, built it up a little bit and I asked myself more questions. So I try on a weekly basis to do a deeper dive. And I also ask my sponsor for occasional times where we can really like look at something that's a little deeper, a little bigger. And sometimes that deeper dive is the use of my time. It could be the use of my finances. It could be family relationships. But I use that 10 step allows me to incorporate the tools that I've learned to maintain this. And it really comes down to it at the end of it. The question that's at the end of my 10 step is how would I act without the fear? And I asked myself that question uh, because I know for this alcoholic that it was fear that drove so many of my character defects. Yeah, me too. I was just talking to a friend on the phone today and I said, who would I be without this particular fear that I was sharing with her? Who would I be? That's what I want to be. I want to be that. It's an ongoing practice. (laughs) The one thing that I love about this program is, you know, no matter how long we've been doing it, there's just more to, more to work on, more to uncover, more to ask God to remove, more to be. It's just, it's a beautiful thing for those that are listening and and aren't familiar with the questions in the 10th step in the book, uh, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, you can see. Uh, the 10 step inventory sort of instructions on page 84. It starts around the middle of page 84 and goes through. And if you search 10 step online, you'll find all kinds of resources to do a 10 step. And I don't know about you, David, but what I found, this is one of my favorite steps. I mean, all the steps are amazing, but for me, this has been a game changer. The minute I started practicing it on a regular basis and really studying it and diving into it because it connected me to myself. And I was so disconnected from myself out there drinking and drugging and using people, places, and things to fill the hole in the soul. What I found is that this step has allowed me to really truly connect to myself with compassion, which has then allowed me to connect to everyone else 
with compassion. And and who knew that was going to happen? Yeah. I mean, when I suffered under the delusion that I was the end all be all, <laughs> and then um, when I realized that I was a very flawed vessel, <laughs> just to be able to uh, clean house. My my sponsor told me that recently that he felt that um, having worked the steps, we were reflecting on where we'd been the last six years, that I had through working the steps and cleaning house that I had uh, created space in my heart for my higher power mm. to take up residence. And I like that, you know, for the longest time, you know, getting rid of alcohol felt like I cleaned the hoarder's nightmare out, but I hadn't bothered putting curtains up or, you know, there were no towels in the guest room, so to speak. You know, I just, I hadn't, I didn't realize what I was missing. I mean, to me, one of the secrets of this is that I can only speak for myself, but I, some friends of mine the last couple of days have said, uh-huh. And that's just, I'm finally learning how to grow up and be a human being, like a full human being to be the, my, my sponsor gave me a challenge early on. Try to be the man that you needed in your life when you were a teenager, when you first started drinking. And now I try to be, um, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to make up for lost time. I am who I am, where I am. I believe that I'm where exactly where my higher power is ready for me to be as long as I'm willing and able. And yeah, and just, you know, this is where I'm at. This is now. Yeah. I like that. And, and such a complete 180 degree turn from the person that didn't take their car to get the oil changed. <laughs> Good Lord. And like it's using. Oh. Yeah. All that. I came in later. Also, I was 48 when I came in and I'm about to be 58. And um, one of the gifts of this program for me anyway, has been just this rebirth, almost like this ability to look at my life and the world and all the people in it from these young eyes, as opposed to some people that I know that aren't in the program and my age that are just sort of sick of the world and sick of life. And, you know, I just feel like it's been such a gift. I don't encourage anyone to wait until they're 48 or 50 or whenever, but, you know, we get here when we get here, but it is one of the beauties of, of recovery later in life is, you know, rainbows look shiny and brand new. I don't know. I just, I really felt, you know, really like a child again, like learning about the world from the eyes of a child at the age of 48. That was cool. You know, it's funny you mentioned that too, because being older for me, I came in with, you know, my ego. And I think this is a really important thing to anybody. I would hope to convey this message. I came in older at chronologically, and I just assumed I must know a lot about life and, you know, spirituality and all kinds of things. Um, and there were people that I met that were 19, 20 years old that were one year sober. And I was two or three years sober and they had so much to teach me. It doesn't matter how old or how young you are. If you're willing to have this life and it's there. I mean, there's grace in the program that we don't have to earn it to ask for it. It's there. Right. But we do need to work to get the benefits from it. 
and and that's you know it takes me to like thinking of the 12th step and i'm really sad if we finish this without talking about that you know to have the spiritual awakening and to be able to carry this message in you know in both in and outside the rooms is so important to me we what we've gone through the last you know 18 some months meetings shutting down going to zoom trying to get meetings back up uh, in person the work of carrying the message is something that uh, is vitally important to my sobriety and i'm glad that you know my sponsor said get your feet moving uh, and your head will follow so mm-hmm. i do if i had one that's one thing I just want to, I guess it's important because I want to give advice that's unsolicited and that's get in service, do it, just do it. You'll feel better. Well, it was about to be solicited because I was going to ask you if you had any advice for a newcomer, <laughs> we already know yeah. some of your advice is get into service. And I agree with you hundred percent and you're doing it today. Thank you. You are mm. carrying the message in a beautiful way. Is there any other advice you would have for somebody that, you know, the beauty of this medium is that we do reach people that aren't necessarily in the rooms yet. It's kind of a cool way to share with people what we're all about uh, without them having to come in yet. So for those guys and gals that might be listening that aren't in the rooms yet, what do you tell them? You are loved. You may not know it. And just using that word love has maybe in my life, in your life, used the wrong way, used uh, to gain advantage or manipulated. But when I say you are loved, I mean, you are loved sincerely, wholeheartedly, whether you realize it or not, it's there. And you come into the rooms and as we all do, and if you just stick around, we will love you until you learn to love yourself. I can't think of anything pure about this program than that. Mm-hmm. Yep. hundred percent true. So yeah, if you're out there and you're listening and, and you haven't found your way into a meeting yet, and you think you might have a problem with alcohol, just get online, search Alcoholics Anonymous meetings. We have them on zoom. We have them in person now and come on in and we'll, we'll welcome you warmly and we will want it for you too. So David, thank you so much. Love your message. You've got a great spirit and just so glad you said yes to us today. It kept me sober another day. And I hope I helped somebody listening to this. Um, And I hope to get to see you in person at a meeting sometime soon. Yeah, I hope so too. I'll have to go up to Philly. (laughs) I'm on by. Yep. Thanks, David. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to find us online, you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash Daily Reflection Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Daily Reflector. You can read stories of recovery from our community at blog.dailyreflectionpodcast.com. Please don't forget to give us a rating on your podcast app. We greatly appreciate it. Have a great day.